Okay, folks, it's been a great show. Wait, what? Not recorded? How am I supposed to recapture what I just came up with? That was perfect. Well, I guess I'll have to try. I'm Phil, and this is The Lip. I don't know if it's the onset of old age, or maybe the summer heat has finally gotten to me. But apparently, I'm going to be doing this segment in the entire show all over again. Just kidding. I thought I'd try to break the ice a little differently than I had the last several episodes, and I tried to be a little bit funny. From time to time, I think it's good, even in the show that you're putting on, to try to entertain the masses, that it really doesn't help unless you can entertain yourself. That's the one true test of just how good that you feel that your entertainment is. If it doesn't make you laugh, it's certainly not going to make anybody else laugh either. Heck, I've only got a little bit to say and a lot of time to say in it. No. I have a lot to say, but only a little bit of time to say it. No. I have a lot to say and as much time as I need to say it. That's the way it works. It's a beautiful thing. I can stop and start this thing as often as I like. Even though I want to kind of keep on a schedule. Every once in a while I go a little longer than I had thought about going. Only because I come up with something that I really enjoy talking about. So I just keep the ball rolling. Keep the ball rolling. Keep the ball rolling. Sometimes... I thought I had more to say on a particular subject, and I actually fooled myself. And it turns out that I actually didn't have as much to say about that particular topic as I thought. So I go a little shorter. What can I say? I take lessons from the great game of baseball. You do realize that the greatest players of all time fail 70% of the time. Think about it. If somebody's batting average is a thousand, that means they hit every single time they're at bat. But that doesn't happen. The best players of all time average somewhere around hitting three times out of every ten at bats. That'll put them at a 300 average. And that's the greatest players of all time. That just goes to show you that even when you think that you're not as successful as you may seem, In the long run, that small bit of success that you have is actually greater than you could imagine. So all I can say about that is, keep swinging. Every ten of bats, as long as you hit three, you know you're doing absolutely amazing. As far as this particular show goes, I'm going to try to swing for the fences as best I can on a very interesting topic, I believe. Something that most people don't like to talk about, at least not openly, but I enjoy it a great deal. Guilty pleasures. These are those little things that you just love too much, but sometimes, because you love them, you kind of don't want people to know just how much you really like it. Because, as a result of the way you act, when you're actually indulging on these particular things. And I can personally say, the ones I'm about to bring up today are certainly 
items and and things that I did and enjoy probably a little too much. So much so that one of the particular items I try not to participate in as often as I should. And the other one I know I'll never stop, but I try to limit myself as best I can. You know what they say, less is more, but I prefer more being more. And in these particular guilty pleasures, I can only tell you that I can't get enough of this stuff. Of course, everybody has something out there that they just enjoy to excess. And at the same time, they just feel a little dirty about after they do it. And I can only tell you, these things for me, I don't care. And I know that they are, in fact, my personal guilty pleasures. And because of that, I just let it roll. I enjoy them. I admit it. And I'm about to tell you just what these things are. Hopefully, you don't get too upset when you find out. Ding, ding, ding. Main event time. Here we go. It's guilty pleasures. Subject I'm going to certainly enjoy. It'll be a lot of fun getting it out there, explaining why, more so than anything else, why these particular things are in fact guilty pleasures versus the fact that they're just things that I just do in excess. Because there's that little feeling of just, wow, I shouldn't have done that. Oof, maybe I should step away from this. Ah, did anybody see me do that? That just seems to go over me whenever I do any of these particular things. Man, oh man. Everybody's got them. These are mine. My first guilty pleasure. Absolutely something that... I'm going to say a handful of people know that I enjoy. It's hockey. I love hockey. Yes, basketball, baseball, those sports I find to be very interesting. And football is 100% my favorite sport. Now, it just so happens that hockey is probably my second favorite sport. Yeah, I really love hockey that much. And I certainly have to be a little bit more closeted about my particular fandom now that I'm living in the city of Philadelphia, knowing that, yeah, I am a Jersey guy originally, but I'm now a Philly guy now. But I will never stop loving my New Jersey Devils. Absolutely cannot, absolutely will not. And let me tell you, watching them play over the last 20, 25 years has certainly been just one of my favorite things to do. I enjoy it thoroughly, just way too much. That's the problem. I really love hockey way too much. And it's to the point where I have to sort of calm myself down about it. I mean, it's football season, you get the 16 games. In hockey, the NHL, they have 84. Now, amongst those 84 games, there's certainly something that just, oh, about hockey. I just, it's intense. I'm already just losing my mind just thinking about it. And that's why I have to slow it down. Let me tell you, 
one of the most interesting things about the New Jersey Devils to me was the 94 season. That's how I knew I pretty much needed to go to therapy. Here I was, not that old at that time. I was, I believe, 94, sophomore in high school. The Devils were on their way. They looked great. They were fantastic. They were doing things that most people weren't really expecting to do. They fought their way through all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals to meet their rival, the Rangers of New York. <sighs> Sadly, Rangers overtook them. And then, what made it even worse, the Rangers defeated the Canucks and won the Stanley Cup. That just broke my heart. I was totally upset. Just absolutely... Mm. Drove me mad. Now you see, at the same time, I'm also a 49ers fan. And I've been going over... Pulling my hair out of my head, watching the Cowboys go back and forth to Super Bowls when the 49ers were just at the cusp. And now here my Devils have the same exact problem. The Rangers were their stumbling block. And they just couldn't get past them that particular year. But wait. The next season, everything changed. The greatest goalie of all time, Martin Brodeur, moved up to the main roster, and that just completely changed the fates of the New Jersey Devils. From that point on, his incredible run of greatness began, and there was virtually no end to it. It was just absolutely a golden era. It was just beginning. That next season, the 95 season, the Devils had just a chip on their shoulder. And I watched as many games as I could. And here comes the intense part. As I started watching them play, I started getting crazier and crazier and crazier to the point where I just started just losing my mind every single time they won a game. That's when I realized maybe I'd slow down a little bit. But I didn't care because I was loving every second of it, every single goal, every single save, every single point that they got in order to get themselves into the playoffs one more time and take another stab at it. Here they come. This time, Eastern Conference Finals had a little different flair, a little different flavor, a unique group of guys who literally helped turn the tide for the Devils. Besides the greatest goalie of all time, Martin Brodeur, the Devils were featuring a unique line, which wasn't their major scoring line, but it had a special touch to them. It's affectionately known as the crash line. These guys just went in there and just hammered people. Totally turned the tide of games just when they came on. And don't get me wrong, this particular line was just brutal. They just opened up the game for the Devils. They created a, a defensive presence from their forwards. That particular line made everybody else think, oh boy, here we go. These guys are not messing around. They're going to beat us up and they're going to win the game. The crash line, probably one of the greatest lines the New Jersey Devils have ever come up with. Such great players. Mike Pelusa, Bobby Holik, and... Randy McKay, just smashing people left and right. And then, of course, 
They continued to smash people left and right until they did the most amazing thing. Got through into the Stanley Cup Finals. And of course they played probably the team that nobody expected them to beat. The invincible Detroit Red Wings that year. Wouldn't you know who swept the Red Wings? Yeah, the Devils swept the Red Wings. Absolutely amazing. 4-0. Just magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. And then it began. The Devils were on a tear for a couple of years, and that line started it all. The crash line. The 94-95 Stanley Cup champion team was just the beginning not the beginning of my fandom, but the beginning of my craziness. The Devils decided to feature a new group of stars in the 99-2000 season. And not only did they feature a group of stars, they defeated the team called the Stars to win the Stanley Cup for the second time. As Patrick Eliash, Peter Secura, and Jason Arnett led the team and just made Martin Brodeur looked even better than he already was. It's incredible. You know what they say a lot of times, the best defense is offense. But at the same time, the best offense is defense. So they literally worked hand in hand together. And it was just a beautiful thing. The Dallas Stars, defeated by the Devils in 2000 Worlds in the Stanley Cup Finals. I can't even talk straight, because that one really made me lose my mind, because I was like, wow, they did it again. I really, honestly, was thinking that they were good that year, but I didn't know if they were going to be that good, and they just, they surprised me, and I'm a good surprise, absolutely a good surprise. If twice was good, then three times would be that much better. Patrick Eliash again, only this time he was accompanied by a couple of different forwards, Brian Gianta and Scott Gomez were his tag team partners in that six-man that they used to go ahead and defeat, of all teams, sorry Disney, the Mighty Ducks, taking the Stanley Cup for the third time. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely beautiful thing. They created a nice mini-dynasty in that period of time. Yeah, they lost a cup, but at the same time, they still ended up winning those three. In fact... That particular group of time, man, they just were perennial favorites. You could look at them and like, okay, they're in the Stanley Cup. They have Martin. They're out of, they're in the playoffs. They have Martin Brodeur. That means they've got good goaltending. Good goaltending wins games. So all they have to do is just let Brodeur do what Brodeur does and protect him. Give him a few points, and he can do the rest in the back. And ultimately, that's kind of the way they play it. However, the Ducks, they had other plans. They had that almost New York Giants thing going for the Eli Manning's teams. They got really, really hot. And they pretty much tore up everyone in the playoffs. And they took the Devils all the way to seven games. It was incredible. I think that of all the Stanley Cup finals that I was able to watch, that particular one might have been not only my favorite, but it, it could be in the top ten of all time, was that good? And I always think to myself, boy, the Ducks, they definitely pulled out all the stops. But at the end of the day, who pulled it off? The Devils. Now, why is this a guilty pleasure? Because, just like I said, I'm not 
nervous or upset when people know that I'm a hockey fan. It's just I don't particularly want to know what they think of me if I'm actually watching a Devils game. Regular hockey is great, but a Devils game, it's just more intense to me. I literally can barely keep it together to the point where I'm just was, for the last 15, 20 years, I've actually only been watching a game here or there because I get way too hyped, way too excited, way more than you should. And like I said, football might be my favorite sport. and I love my 49ers, but there's just something about hockey that just does it for me. It's just, it's incredible. Think of it like this, and this is why I love it so much, and this is probably why it gets, mm, I get so intense when I think about it. Baseball is a major game of anticipation. Basketball is a very high-paced sport that goes back and forth, up and down, high-scoring. Football is intense and hard-hitting. Hockey combines all three of those elements into one game. Constant motion up and down the ice, moving back and forth. You just never know who's going to take that big hit on against the boards. And even more important than that, the anticipation of that one flick of the wrist that can put that puck past the goaltender. You don't know when it's coming. But eventually it will. And that's what the whole thing is about. That anticipation of when that lamp gets lit. It's just awe-inspiring and amazing. Truly a massive guilty pleasure of mine is 100% hockey. And again, like I said, I have to try to relegate myself to as few games as possible. So I don't completely just go crazy. I've been for the last several years trying to watch... 10 or less games because that's about as much as I can take if they get back to the playoffs and start doing great stuff like I'm sure that they're capable of especially with the young group of players that they've got going on right now it's very possible I might end up finding myself looking for another 16 game fight to get to that Stanley Cup again I hope so I can't wait and I'm only thinking good things are going to come from this devil team that we're looking at right now My next guilty pleasure, perhaps my ultimate guilty pleasure, is pizza. Yeah, everybody who knows me realizes that I love pizza. I probably have the most love for pizza of anybody that anybody would ever know. If you've met me, you would know that that's exactly what I do. It's my absolute favorite food, bar none, hands down, no question. It's one thing that... Even in my training regimen, when I went back to change my diet, reference an episode that came up previously about working out, you'll see that I had created three lists. And on those three lists were things that I was trying to slow down on, stop, and then add to my diet. One thing that I have absolutely put in stone, locked it in, cemented it, is the fact that pizza will only be on the slow down list and will never be on the stop eating list. Never. I'm just not built that way. I can't not eat pizza. It's the one thing that without any question, I will never do. I will never stop eating pizza for good. That's never going to happen. I've had points in times where I was 
sort of on some sort of weird strike and I didn't eat it for a few weeks. And even one time I had stopped eating pizza for, I believe it was three months. And that was just horrible. You would think that I was going through withdrawal from crack. It was that bad. So I've decided never, ever, ever to do that again. And as long as I live, I will make sure that that's the case. Turns out that, sorry Pennsylvania, particularly Philadelphia, not too many places in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia particularly actually have pizza that I consider good. Yeah, I'm a bit of a pizza snob, but at the same time, I can also be considered a bit of a connoisseur. I believe that there's a certain way that it needs to be. You have to have balance. The crust, the sauce, the cheese, they all have to sort of mesh. And in some weird way, I actually have almost a grading system which determines exactly how good a pizza is. And it's twofold. And if I'm going to officially grade pizza, it can't be done in one setting, which is most interesting. And I think that's probably the funniest part about my system. And to give you a quick reference on my system is I have to have pizza twice in order to determine whether it's good or bad. Because the first three elements are the basic elements of pizza, which is the sauce, the cheese, and the crust. And I am only a plain guy. So I believe that anybody else who likes toppings that's okay, it's fine, but if those three elements aren't right, it doesn't matter what you put on top of it, the pizza's not gonna be right. And so, my personal thing is, I would judge all three of those elements, but I would judge them twice. First time, when it's totally fresh. Because if you get a completely fresh pizza, that's the best possible offering that any pizza place can give you. Hot out of the oven pristine. It's perfect. There's nothing that can go wrong with it. It's as good as it's going to get. And I give that a specific grade. Then, the other thing that I would do is maybe come back a few days later when I'm officially grading one, and I'll just get a slice from the slice pies that are there, so that it has been sitting for a while, and they have to reheat it. And that's the other important element, because Anybody can have great pizza. Well, not anybody. But most places can have decent pizza. Well, not everybody. When it first comes out of the oven. The real test is if you can go get a pie, if you can go get a slice from a slice pie, and have that pizza still be as good and maintain the basic integrity that the original did, that's when you got a winner. Because that means... It doesn't even have to be perfectly right out of the oven, just made. It can be there for a minute. You can let it sit in your fridge for a day, and it'll still be outstanding. And there aren't very many pizza places I have on that level, but there are definitely several that I've been to who actually have a lot of those elements. Now, of my three tiers, as far as grading pizza, I start at the very bottom and work my way up. The three elements of the cheese, the sauce, and the crust, I'm bringing that up constantly because those three things are so important. I believe that a bad pizza, 
has none of those elements that are any good. The sauce could be weak or it could be too strong. The crust can be too chewy or it can be too hard. The cheese can be not flavorful and just not capturing that that grease element that can come with it. And if a pizza lacks all three of those, it's complete trash. The next level is, if you have one of those levels that's good. Don't get me wrong, I've had pizza that had outstanding crust, but the garbage on top just was ridiculous. You'd almost want to scrape it off and just eat the crust by itself. Then there's places that have really just bad crust, but the sauce is magnificent. You wish you had some breadsticks and you just dip that sauce all day in the breadsticks. And then there's been times where, yeah, the cheese itself, you don't almost want to just put it almost by itself and throw away the rest of it. Just eat the cheese and you'd be happy all day long. That's a low level. Not exactly the most interested place in the world. I'd rather not go there. Be on the, literally, almost the bottom of the foundation here. Not the best place to go. Now there's the places that I would pop into and say, okay, that place is okay. I go in there and it has two that are good. Let's say it has really good sauce and really good crust. Alright, it's a winner. Cheese tastes really good. The crust is nice, firm, not too stiff, not too weak. But the sauce is like water. Oh well. The two elements are okay. It's edible. I'm not going to be so worried about it. That's like a second tier pizza. I think that that's a place that you can go into. You're not going to want to go spend a whole lot of money there. I might go in there, let's say, driving by, like, oh, I'm hungry. Let me go in there and get a couple slices. It'll satisfy me. I'm not going to put it on a pedestal, but I'm certainly not going to throw it on the trash right away. Then there's the really good stuff. Sorry to say, I've gotten in the state of Pennsylvania maybe four places that are on my top tier, where, of course, my former home, New Jersey, I can probably throw a stone and find a whole bunch of top-tier places that have immaculate cheese, perfect sauce, and the crust is just right. And here in Pennsylvania, I hate to say it, those places are few and far between. But in New Jersey, I can honestly say there's a lot that I can go with that ranking. And then to get the very elite, that's when I start going back and forth and testing it and discovering whether or not it can be as good if it's been heated up as opposed to coming straight out of the oven. That's a true test of how good a pizza can actually be. Fortunately for me, here in Philly, I happen to have just lucked it up so amazingly that the place that's real close to my house right now it just so happens to be, in my opinion, a top-tier pizza place. It has perfect cheese, perfect sauce, perfect crust. It can be reheated. It's as good as it gets. It's probably in the top four or five of all the pizza I've had. I'm real pleased with it. It's a very light crust, nice and doughy. It's, 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 it's good. The sauce has a perfect flavor to it, and the cheese just is, it's amazing. It's really hard to find pizza like that in Philadelphia. Not to insult them completely, because this is, in fact, the land of water rice, cheese steaks, and the pretzel. They're really not the pizza capital of the world. 
So when you find one that's really good like this, it's a gem. And what makes it even better is the people who actually own this particular pizza place happen to have been residents of New Jersey before they came here. So it all adds up to me. All that being said, why is pizza truly a, a guilty pleasure of mine? Well, let's face it. It's all about the overindulging craziness that goes on with how much I've eaten and how often I eat. We'll start in the past and move our way forward to what I believe are the most extreme examples of my overindulgence of pizza and just how insane it really is. We'll start in 2002. I was working at a convenience store had a bunch of time that I was going to take for vacation, and I chose a unique thing. Here I am, 23, going on 24, and I'm going to take 11 days off from work, and I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to go not do what most people would think. I'm not going to hop on a plane, go to Florida, I'm not going to jump in my car or call my buddies and do a road trip. No. What I chose to do was somewhat of a road trip, but it was a personal road trip. I took those 11 days to do something outside the box, but at the same time, <laughs> very much inside a box. I decided to eat at as many pizza places as I could possibly find, and choose best pizza place out of those pizza places that I've gone to. Wouldn't you know that over this 11 day period of time I mapped out probably six or seven pizza places that were close to my house so that if I went out farther and couldn't find any place that was either within the realm of that I haven't been to or a place that I was just too tired to go because I had been driving and literally eating pizza every single day, multiple slices from multiple places, that I would just be able to go to one of these other places to continue with my non-stop pizza eating. So on this trip that I went on, just driving around here and there and everywhere, I ended up moving up and down into Jersey Shore moving inland, moving north, moving south, moving all over between Ocean, Monmouth, Burlington counties, and even a couple of them a little farther out down Atlantic County. I was a lot of places. This 11-day tour took me to 49 different pizza places. And over this 49 different pizza places, I ended up eating approximately 108 slices yeah 108 slices of pizza 49 different pizza places over 11 days in order to make this feat actually happen I literally was going to eat at roughly was it, four pizza places a day a little more than that about four a little more than four pizza places a day Think about that. 
really think about that. I would wake up in the morning about 10 o'clock, get dressed, hop in the car, start moving down the road. Would go, 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 stop, found a pizza place I had never been to. Go in there, grab a slice, take it, go. Drive down the road, find another pizza place. Did that three, four, five times in a day. Stopped, came back home. Did that for 11 days. And technically, I did it for 12 because one of the close places that was right next to the convenience store that I worked at, in fact, the night before I started my 11-day vacation, I had pizza for my people who were there working with me, and that was really the first place that I had started with. So realistically, it was more like 12 days, if you want to count that first one, which I did. The next over-the-top thing I did was in 2008 or nine. sorry, I can't exactly remember what year it was, wasn't taking notes on that particular subject at that particular time. I wanted to see just how many days I could eat pizza in a row. Wouldn't you know, I worked at it to a point where I tried to cheat it. I kept eating it every day, and then I had to go to work, and I would, in order to make sure that I wouldn't miss a day, I would do somewhat of a cheat by not eating my pizza until 11.58 p.m., and I would go and have two slices from a place and eat one of them at 11.58, and then the next one after midnight, Therefore, I would have technically eaten a slice of pizza in each of those days. And I only started doing that once I got to the later point of how far I was going. And I ended up messing up because I felt I had a little bit more time than I thought I had. So I ended up eating a slice of pizza every day for 30 days. And it could have actually been 31 had I been paying attention to the clock. But... That's the way it was. If I was to try to have kept it and just did it directly in the middle of the day, got a slice of pizza, would have been easier, but at the same time, I also had to work. So, it just made more sense for me to do it that late at night and sort of separate the days within minutes of each other in order to actually cover my day. And... Uh, that was interesting, and I think that was a fun experiment because it could have gone on longer had I just paid a little bit more attention because on that 30th day, I had eaten a slice of pizza, and it was the day before, and it had been 11.58, and I ate the one slice, and it was midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning the next day, so that actually counted for the day, number 30. Now, to go to 31... What I messed up was I was eating the two slices of pizza and I said, "Ah, I got a little bit more time and I let the clock run, let the clock run, put the pizza in the microwave. All of a sudden I look at the clock and it's actually 12.01 and I had missed that day. It was just as crazy as it gets. Bam, there it was. Took too long. Miss the day. Mm -mm -mm. 
nearly perfect, but I failed by that little, you know. It's all it takes. Just a little bit. It's all it takes. And to really make you aware of just how bad that this really was as far as pizza being a guilty pleasure, the very thing that I hoped to enjoy so greatly and said, oh, maybe I'll try this again, turned out to be a nightmare because it just so happens that maybe a week or so after that 11-day pizza uh, extravaganza that I went on, I had a doctor's appointment. And wouldn't you know who ended up coming up with very high blood pressure? <laughs> this guy. So I figure at that point in time, we're not going to do that ever again. Because eh, life is short. Why make it any shorter than it has to be? I know I have some guilty pleasures as far as movies go. Two of my favorite movies of all time. Both cult classics. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Arguably one of the worst movies ever made. And depends on who you ask me personally. I think it is the worst movie ever made. And I hope that it always keeps that title. And another one is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Again, a really, really bad movie, but a cult classic, and I love it to death. In fact, I own a copy of it that is an anniversary copy. It's all decked out in a nice cardboard box raised up. It's, it's amazing. It's a beautiful box. I watched the movie. Can't wait to let the kids watch it, because they'll probably get a kick out of it. At least they will right around now older they get, they may be able to not have that suspension of disbelief. But that's what movies are for, to give you that suspension of disbelief. And my favorite part about Plan 9 from Outer Space is, not to give away the whole plot, but if you actually listen to the plan when they give it to you, it actually is a decent plan. It's just the movie itself was just doomed with bad acting and some horrible luck as far as actors go and timing. It just didn't work. It just didn't work. But for my pleasure, it certainly made me laugh every time I watch it. Those are my guilty pleasures. I imagine you've got some as well. I say don't shy away from them. I say embrace them. Make them your own. Enjoy them to the fullest. And don't let anybody make you feel crazy about enjoying them. Because we only have so much time on this blue rock that we're living on. So we got to do what we can to enjoy it. It's now time. For the spear of the week. This particular spear didn't actually happen this week. I'm going to go retroactively and move back several weeks to earlier in June, where I found a crossing guard that decided to park her vehicle literally blocking my driveway. I saw this happening from my window and I was like, nah, 
we need to give you that spear, run right through you, then put you in the back of your car, hop in your car, drive your car off a cliff. Because, of course, it would be bad enough if this particular person decided to park directly in front of my driveway, but it made matters that much worse that I was literally about to leave the house and go into my car and back out my driveway because I had somewhere to be. <sighs> the only thing that I can do is just be glad that when I went out there and said, hey, you gotta move, she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think I could fit in the place up there, but I'm gonna go find out. Yeah, you're gonna go find out, all right? If not, you're gonna get speared, and it would have certainly been the spear of the week. Okay, everyone, I'm actually going to wrap things up this time. No kidding. This is actually the end of the show. Just wanted to thank everyone for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to me talk about my guilty pleasures. And hopefully you actually feel comfortable with telling me about some of yours. Please hit me up at my Twitter, which is at PissedPhil with two L's. Or my Instagram, philiphenderson5102. I'd greatly appreciate seeing what your guilty pleasures are. And at the very least, I would enjoy getting a like. I like being liked, especially by people who like me. And now to give you a few parting thoughts or words of wisdom that could make your life a whole lot easier. Let's say you're at work and you have to give a coworker a set of very simple instructions, but you need to make sure that they understood exactly what you said. So you ask your coworker to repeat exactly what you told them. However, before they actually started repeating it, you noticed that in the process of you explaining to them what you needed to explain to them, that they were staring off into space. So instead of actually asking that person to repeat what you had told them, what you need to do is look at that person and say, you retain as much information as a funnel attached to a garden hose. On that note, I would like to talk to you about some other stuff that we would also like to see washed completely clean. Next episode, I believe I'm going to turn to a topic that the entire world had a bit of a stake in, and that was the craziness that was 2020. I figure as many things that we had go on throughout the whole year of 2020, I feel that I think I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Personally, I found some things that were extraordinarily negative, as most people would imagine. But at the same time, you know what they say, the glass is either half full or is it half empty. There were some things that made that glass look half full. There were a few positives, just a few. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to say that everything was beautiful, but there were certainly a couple of glimmers of hope which made you think that just maybe this year, 2021, could potentially be better. Sure, it started a little rough, but I think we're going to be okay when it's all said and done. So join me next week 
as I talk about 2020. Here, my name is Phil, and you've just listened to The Lib.